You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So I have, uh, I got to get me a little podcast studio, man, because this is ridiculous. The amount of noise down here, I, I'm like sitting as far away from everything as I possibly can. You got the, the air, con- or the heat blasting. The dryer's on, which is, I mean, that's my fault, but I need clothes for work. And this computer still sounds like a rocket ship about to take off. So I can just imagine how lovely the quality of this podcast has become over the last few months. And for that, I apologize. But uh, at least the cricket's gone, so there's that. Um, Today, what I want to do, generally it is PFF day, but I can tell a lot of people are getting kind of burned out. I'm not going to abandon it, but I want to put a little twist on it. One of the things that I've been kind of saying, but more indirectly, is that most people look at this as though the 49ers are top tier, the Packers are kind of like third tier. Not even second tier. I would be willing to bet if you talk to a decent amount of prognosticators, they would put the Vikings ahead of the Packers, the Saints, uh, you know, any, I mean, just you can go down the line and probably rattle off about 10 teams that most people would say are better than the Packers. And we're talking out of 32 teams. How are you done already? I just started you. Something's wrong with that. I mean, I'm not complaining, but this thing is ridiculous. Yes, I'm yelling at my washing machine. It's my podcast. If I don't yell at random inanimate objects, then I got to just restart the podcast because something is not right. Could you imagine what it would be like to work for me? Oof. I got to do it every day. It's a nightmare. But anyways, I want to take a look back at that Packers 49ers game. Because I think a lot of it has to do with that game. Again, as I've said now several times, people look at the fact that the Packers win close games and say, see, they're not that good. Because if you were good, you'd blow people out. And if we have time, I'm going to go back to this PFF video, which is PFF video number two, this Eric guy. Which, by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I went on a rant a few days ago about something he said. He came out with a new video that's possibly even dumber. And, and I made the comment, I'll tell you right now, This guy is either a Bears, Vikings, or Lions fan because nobody is this dumb. This is only the voice of somebody that hates the Packers. It has to be because this is just so dumb. Now, it's embarrassing, even if that's true, that a person who works for Pro Football Focus, which is an analytical website, would be allowed to spew fandom nonsense. In other words, I'm going to say things that are just false and statistically incorrect because I hate the Packers. If I'm the owner of PFF, I'm going to listen to this and say, dude, knock it off or you're fired. Because we kind of got a reputation to uphold. And, you know, if you're going to have an opinion, you can have an opinion. But don't deliberately say factually incorrect things just because you hate the Packers. It makes us all look kind of stupid. So maybe if we have time, I'll get to that. I don't even know if I've got to it yet. I want to look back at the last time the 49ers played the Packers. Let me try this for a third time. And kind of zoom in, because people look at that and they say, look, the the Packers got blown up by the 49ers because the 49ers are on a different tier. It's not because they're on a different tier. The fact of the matter is, you had a team that probably played its best game of the year, and another team that had its worst game of the year. Several guys had the worst games of their careers that happened on the same day, and you ended up with a game that was similar to Chiefs-Texans, right? 
minus the part where the Texans kind of went off for a little while because of a few fumbles and things that went in their favor. But really, you just had one team that just had the other team's number, and it was over. And they just kept piling on. It just was game over, game over, game over. Right? I mean, it's just one of those things. So those are a couple of the goals and then a few news and notes things. And I really hope I can get to that video because I just... I should probably just save it for tomorrow, but man, that's annoying. Um, I want to say thank you to Gary, Ronald, and Troy. I think I said thank you to Gary live yesterday, but um, all three of these fine, fine, fine folks jumped in on Patreon yesterday. Again, if you'd like to support the podcast, there is a link in the description. It's a link of links. I know it's like, where are all these links he keeps talking about? There's one link that says links. Click on that, and it'll just bring up a bunch of different links. The only reason I did that is because it looked nicer and neater. Maybe I should go back to the other way. I don't know. But it will show you all the different uh, things you need to know. Facebook group, etc., etc. But um, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy to support the podcast. You can do it for as little as $1 a month. Again, if you need to call up the financial planner, move some monies around, I completely understand. But I would appreciate um, if you could find it in your heart to scratch together at least a buck. And again, at the end of every single month, I'm going to be doing a giveaway. This month is going to be a... Uh, a whatever you want out of my Teespring store giveaway, I guess we'll call it. It used to be a t-shirt giveaway, but since we crossed the 50 donor mark, um, it's a whatever you want giveaway. Now, here's the other thing I'll say. We're not going to get there this month. I'll be that pessimistic, but I will say when we get there, there's going to be a new thing. When we cross the 100 donor uh, mark, I'll have a design your own shirt giveaway, which is to say I've had several people say, dude, you got to make this kind of shirt or that kind of shirt. When we cross that mark, I will give you the opportunity to say, okay, what kind of a shirt do you want? I'll, I'll pay to have it designed, I'll put it in the store, and I will send it to you for free, and then I'll be selling it out of our store as your own special little design. It does have to be Packers-related, and it does have to be family-friendly, and no, it can't be like Derek Rules with a Packers G on it, all right? I mean, come on, you, you know what we're doing here, right? So that's the plan. Make sure you jump into the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you jump on the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Otherwise, I think we're all caught up, man. Why don't we take a break and start talking about some stuff. Whether you're an athlete, a weekend warrior, or someone who deals with constant joint pain, back pain, muscle soreness, or arthritis, finding a natural remedy that instantly works might seem non-existent. Most over-the-counter pain relievers such as Icy Hot and Bengay only focus on one basic cooling effect which temporarily takes your mind off the pain until that pain returns in an hour or so. If you're looking to get rid of a nagging muscle or joint pain immediately while providing long-lasting recovery, then you need to try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution CryoFreeze CBD developed by Omax Health. This non-prescription triple-action pain relief roll-on is specifically formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and improve muscle and joint flexibility. The best part is this 100% natural CBD-powered remedy works its magic within 10 minutes of application and relief lasts up to 8 hours, much longer than over-the-counter products. It's super easy to throw in your gym bag and take on the go for emergency pain relief. Simply roll it over where it hurts and ice out the pain with an arctic blast. Omax Health is offering my listeners 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze Pain Relief Roll-On, plus free shipping. This discount also applies toward any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter promo code OVERTIME to take advantage of this incredible savings. That's omaxhealth.com and enter promo code OVERTIME to get 20% off CryoFreeze and site-wide. And if you're looking for something fun to do with that newfound joint pain relief, I've got an idea. How about we pack up the fam, head on out to Arizona for Cactus League spring training? Really, if you do have joint pain and things like that, this doesn't have to be a strenuous activity. We're talking about sitting in the bleachers in 75-degree weather, eating some hot dogs and watching some baseball right after you got some autographs from the players on your favorite team. We're talking about driving out to some craft breweries like Four Peaks, Angels Trumpet, Ale House, and Goldwater Brewing Company. We're talking about checking out live music from local and national artists driving out to museums, although if your knees hurt, maybe you'll skip the museums. Or you can sit in the car and let the wife and kids go walk around. You can watch Netflix on your phone. And then when you're done with that, drive on back to the sweet resort hotel with the water park built in, so you can go upstairs and listen to the Packernet podcast while your family's doing water slides. And they're like, why don't you come on down? And you're like, I would, but my back, oh, it hurts. As you got pizza sauce dripping on your shirt. I, I know how it is, it's all right. But tell me that doesn't sound kind of awesome. 
So when you're ready to plan your spring training getaway, visit Arizona.com slash spring training and make sure that this February is a great one. So I want to start off with a little bit of news because there's been a little bit of turnover in the NFL, specifically looking at our uh, NFC North rivals. So first of all, the Detroit Lions have been making a couple moves here. Um, Hilariously, they needed to hire a defensive backs coach, so they go out to the Eagles and get that guy. (laughs) The Eagles have some of the worst corners in football. And listen, I understand that's not exactly how this works, right? You're not... It's not just based on results. We've learned that now, but it, it's still kind of hilarious, especially since these aren't necessarily just bad corners because that's that's what a lot of people are going to go to. They're going to say, well, I mean, come on. what do you? He's got nothing to work with. I mean, Ronald Darby was a second-round pick. I mean, he was a pretty good corner for several years. He's having a garbage year. Sidney Jones was a second-round pick, and by the way, the only reason Sidney Jones was a second-round pick is because he was injured. This guy was thought to be by far the best corner out of Washington, which is renowned for good corners, although sometimes they're a little hit or miss. But, I mean, he was easily the number one guy. He just was injured, so he fell to the second round. This guy has never had a good year in three years. He's battled injuries, but he's hardly even on the field because he just can't win a job. Razul Douglas, third round pick, having a terrible year. Avanti Maddox is a fourth round pick. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not the best. But, I mean, if you got several second-round picks, third-round pick, a fourth-round pick, somebody should hit. And then you've got Orlando Skandrick, who, um, I mean, he's got a really high grade, but it's it's ridiculously small sample size. And really, he's had two terrible games and one game that was almost perfect. 97.4 was his overall grade. But, I mean, very, very fluky because it was largely his pass rush grade. He rushed the passer five times, ended up with uh, three pressures. Two of them were sacks. So the whole thing was wildly skewed. And we're talking, again, three games. So that's that means nothing. So there is talent. There's, there's a bunch of early round corners, and none of them can produce. And the Detroit Lions decided that's the guy that they want to get. They want to get the coach that coached one of the worst DB groups in all of football, with actually not the worst talent by a long shot. They also hired a special teams coordinator, which I, you know, whatever, okay. Uh, The only slightly interesting thing about it is that um, Braden Coombs, he was actually linked to the Packers staff. Uh, The Packers wanted to get him, but he decided he would stay in Cincinnati, so it kind of makes sense. Um, Depending on what the Packers decide to do, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's that unlikely that we end up moving on from our um, guy Menenga, just because things were so bad for so long. I know that we've got a guy that can return for a little bit, but it, it's been pretty ugly. And so it, there's a fairly high likelihood that if we did move on, this guy was top of the list. So the Lions jumped in line and grabbed the guy right away uh, before the Packers could. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, the Bengals had the best special teams unit by way of DVOA in 2019. So they, they're kind of swinging for the fences on special teams, probably going to have some success there. PFF had them ranked fifth, so either way, a very good special teams unit, and uh, they went ahead and got that coordinator. Some interesting Chicago Bears news. They hired an offensive coordinator, Bill Lazor, which is, it really just kind of reminds me of like the Jets hiring Adam Gase. And I know this is a kind of a useless role. It's sort of like the Packers offensive coordinator. It's more, how would you say that? It's more like an assistant than an actual offensive coordinator because the head coach is the offensive coordinator, is the play caller. So their job is to do, I guess, some of the offensive grunt work, some of the research, some of the give some of the input. I don't know. And the guy's got a lot of experience, but it's sort of one of those guys that always gets passed around, is regarded as sort of this offensive guru, but in my mind is sort of an old-school offensive guru. And part of the problem with that is, the offense is constant, or the, the the NFL is constantly evolving, and the question is, are you evolving with it? You know, some of these guys, like we've talked about, there's the Mike McCarthy's of the world, there's the Dom Capers of the world, who were really, really good when their style of offense and defense were kind of popular. They were the innovators to maybe come up with this stuff. The question is, now that things have evolved, are you up to speed on it? Are you adept at it? Can you use this offensive genius to kind of infuse that in? Otherwise, Bill Lazor, his his offense is from, I don't know, what, 2014, 2015? Like, if he's going to try to infuse that into what the Bears are doing, that's a waste. And so I'm guessing the hope is it's just he's a great offensive mind and is a great guy to kind of, uh, you know, knock some ideas around with. But, you know, he took a year off last year. 
And you'd think, well, maybe he's studied up a little bit on, on current. No, he didn't. He was working with Penn State as, as like an assistant advisor or something. So I, I kind of feel like that's what the Bears are doing. They're, they're giving him the offensive coordinator role, but I think he's going to be more or less an, advi- an offensive advisor, which is kind of what an offensive coordinator is when you have an offensive head coach. But, um, I, I, you know, I don't know. It doesn't scare me. It doesn't mean hardly much of anything. Again, Matt Nagy is the offensive coordinator. He's the head coach. He's the play caller. Um, am I scared of Bill Lazor? No. I remember the we played the Bengals, I think, one game when Bill Lazor had just come on board. And I don't remember if we won or lost, but I remember it was a very, very close game, and, and the, the, the Bengals looked really, really good. And it was kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, man, Bill Lazor, and that's, that's a Bill Lazor offense right there. That's just crazy. The problem is it was just it was this thing where you're new and nobody knew what to do, and then after that the Bengals just went downhill because people just learned it, and they're like, all right, that's how you stop it, and then, then they stopped it, and that was it. So that doesn't worry me too much. Um, on the Vikings front, there has been a lot of turnover, and it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, on one hand, they did fire their defensive coordinator. Now, because they have a defensive head coach, it's sort of like their defensive advisor is getting fired, which isn't that big of a deal. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you could almost say that his level of advice has kind of run its course, and he's he's just not offering anything anymore to um, to Zimmer, right? It's kind of like Zimmer turns to the guy and he's like, "All right, what do you think we do?" And he just he's not offering new and insightful information. Nothing that Zimmer can do. Which, by the way, it's hard to be an advisor to Zimmer, who's one of the you know brightest defensive minds in the game, to be like, "All right, man, here's my insight for today," and Zimmer's just staring at you like, "Why are you here?" You're telling me stuff that I already know, right? So that maybe isn't that big of a deal. The defense is still going to be the defense. Um, What I do think potentially could be a a big deal is losing Stefanski. The biggest question for me is how much of this offense was Stefanski and how much was Gary Kubiak, who is sort of the, I mean, literally his title is offensive advisor. So it's kind of like Stefanski was the offensive coordinator. Like if, if Stefanski was the head coach, Gary Kubiak was his offensive coordinator. So it's kind of like getting an offensive coordinator for your offensive coordinator. So the question is, when we get a new offensive coordinator, or if we just leave things in place and give Gary Kubiak Kubiak the OC title and a pay raise to get him to stay, maybe nothing changes. I don't know. That's, That's the part I don't know. Because I know a lot of Vikings fans are saying, it's fine, Kubiak was the guy behind the curtain the whole time anyway, so it doesn't matter. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. But we'll have to see. If that's the case, then we can't expect too much of a regression, depending on, you know, because, look, Stefanski also comes in with a certain level of, I mean, look what Lafleur has done for the locker room. Look what he has as far as player relations. I mean, is, is Gary Kubiak going to provide that same kind of stuff in terms of one-on-one coaching, in terms of, of you know, his style of delivery, in terms of, you know, and, and also there's a level of how much work gets done. If, if Gary Kubiak and Stefanski are basically doing the same job, that's great, but that's also them each doing half of the amount of work as far as prep and, and game planning and all that stuff. So all the work that Stefanski did is gone and is going to have to either all fall on Kubiak, which means he's only going to be half as productive, or we have to go out and get somebody else. And the question is, is he going to be as good as Stefanski? And there's a lot of people, you know, the, the Browns hired him and everyone's laughing like it's a joke. I don't know if Stefanski's going to be a good head coach, but it's hard to argue that he wasn't a good offensive coordinator. Again, the Vikings went from, what, 19th in points on offense to 5th? And maybe just cutting the dead weight that was John Filippo would automatically bring him up a little bit. Filippo, who was just fired in, in Jacksonville. But I don't know. And then thirdly, um, there is sort of their... I don't know, second in command for, for the GM kind of spot is interviewing for the Browns as well. It's one of those things where it's it's a guy that he's not your GM, but you really, really want to retain him, so you give him a, a, as close of a title to GM as you can. It's, in this case, assistant GM, George Pat, and you kind of just try to hide him away. But, I mean, it's one of those things where he's worthy of being a GM, and the Vikings don't want to lose him, but you already have a GM, so you can't get rid of him. Kind of like for us, Russ Ball, so you try to give him as high of a title as you can and then just hope nobody steals him away. And then again, it, it all comes down to how much of a role does he play and what it, what kind of an impact is that going to have going forward in the draft. And his actual full title is Vice President of Player Personnel and Assistant General Manager. And so I get the impression he is kind of the COO of, well, player personnel, a player acquisition, which means he's a very, very valuable person to the team. So um, in order of importance... 
it's you know definitely the lowest is losing your defensive coordinator, but then it's it's kind of it's kind of a big deal um, to lose the guy that's that's responsible largely for making sure that you are able to continually bring on talent, especially for the Vikings who are kind of at this point where their strategy now is to retain everybody that they have. Then if you lose one of the biggest voices and one of the most important pieces in player acquisition. That's going to hurt you in the future when you decide we can't retain these guys any longer. We have to focus on bringing in new talent. So that might be the biggest loss, followed by Stefanski, followed by this defensive coordinator. So we'll see. Maybe it doesn't mean much. Maybe it means that this is the beginning of the end for the Vikings when all this gets added together, right? Because it's it's always a matter of you're, you're always kind of deteriorating as a team, and it takes effort and and talent to maintain even a level of staying where you were because everybody's getting older everybody's just getting worse and falling apart all the time and any anybody you have that's good wants more money which you can't afford or wants to leave and becomes a free agent and goes somewhere else to a team that has a bunch of money stacked up and all your coaches get hired away somewhere else and all your 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 assistant gms get hired away somewhere else and so you you just begin to deteriorate that's the way the nfl works that's why having an incredible gm at the top to make sure that you know, despite all this deterioration, we can add more than we lose because you're always going to lose. You're always deteriorating. You have to be able to get out in front of that and, and to be able to grow is, is really impressive. Now, if you're at the bottom of the, of the rung, if you're the Miami Dolphins, you should be able to grow. You have nothing to lose because you have no talent. You have early draft picks and you have a pile of money, or at least you should, unless you're just terrible at cap management. So if you're at the bottom, you should be growing. If you're at the top, you should be deteriorating. This is the way the NFL is built to pull everything to the middle. Anyways, that is the news throughout the NFC North. Basically, not one single thing has happened that has got me worried. Not one. So, anyways, I want to move on to looking at going back to Week 12, Packers versus 49ers. And I want to revisit some of these uh, PFF grades because it really embodies what kind of a performance we saw that week. And I want to kind of contrast that with what happened just this past week. So again, it's kind of like a PFF day, but with a little bit of a wrinkle. The first thing I'd like to point out is the offense. The best and highest grade anybody got on offense that week against the 49ers was Devontae Adams. His grade was a 66.8, which is average. I've never in my life, and I, I, I don't recall ever seeing this for any team looking at any game ever, and including like the Chicago Bears. Usually you got like a wide receiver got like a 70 and the rest are 60s. I don't think I've ever seen a 66.8 as the highest grade of any player on offense. You know what the highest grade in this game was? 92.8. By the way, and 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 clearly, this was some of the best performances we've seen all year, which is kind of why people should be a little bit more nervous. Like I said in in, in yesterday or the day before his game, Aaron Ro- or podcast, Aaron Rodgers in the postseason is just kind of a different animal. Would you like to know who got the 92.8? It was Aaron Rodgers. We asked the question, what happens when Aaron Rodgers has the best game of, his, of, of, of the season? What happens when he comes back to his normal self? Which, by the way, technically this was his second best game. His game against Oakland was just a tad higher graded. But, again, basically, this is as good as it gets. And, no, I don't think it's a coincidence that um, one of his only three games that were in the 90s just so happens to be his uh, playoff game. By the way, he wasn't the only one. The highest grade Devontae Adams has had all year was in this game. 92. Two elite grades in this game. I, can, I don't even have to go back and look. I can promise you that has not happened all year. Would you like to know the last time Devontae has had a grade this high? Well, if, if he had a grade this high, it happened in Fresno State because he's never had a grade this high via PFF in the pros ever. According to them and their metrics and their measuring system, this is the best game he has ever played. Other guys who had higher grades than than anybody did in that last San Francisco game. Jimmy Graham, Corey Lindsley, Tyler Irvin, and Geronimo Allison. Welcome back, my friend. I'd also like to contrast the fact that this is one of Aaron Rodgers' best games of the year, contrasting that with the worst game he played, which was against the San Francisco 49ers which, as we talked about, was the worst game of his entire career. So so let's just look at it from that standpoint. Okay, well, he's probably not going to do that again like he did against the Seattle Seahawks. I want one person to tell me that they believe Aaron Rodgers is going to put up something closer to a 37 than a 92, or technically a 93. It was a 92.8. If you had to put money on the line, let, let me. T- I'm stealing $100 from you. I'm going to slap it on the table. 
and I'm going to tell you, you're not getting this money unless you tell me correctly. Is he going to be closer to a 93 or a 38? Because I know there's a lot of people who don't like the Packers who will lie and say 38. But if I put your money on the line, if I take your house and put it on the line, nobody says 38. Nobody says that. I mean, the guy's only played like four games, three games all year that are closer to a 38 than a 90, uh, 94. So yeah, I, I don't necessarily expect that same level of performance. But I absolutely don't expect him to be the same that he was against San Francisco the first time they met this year. I mentioned Jimmy Graham. Guess what his best game this year was? It was against Seattle. This is, this is, before I saw the grades, this is what I told you. You got guys like Jimmy and Mercedes and Rodgers, and you can even add Devontae to this list because he's been around a long time now. There's certain guys that have been around that, that are just hungry. They understand how important this is, and they're going to work, and they're going to grind, and they want it bad. That's not fake. And I'm not saying the 49ers don't want it. Of course they don't want it, but they don't understand. They're not on the verge of retirement. I mean, Devontae's got some time left, but Jimmy does not. Aaron Rodgers knows he doesn't. Every time you get him in an interview, he's talking about the finality and how close things are to the finish and how he's better understanding Favre's position now. You know, he's the age right now that that uh, Favre was when we drafted Rodgers. Favre's replacement was drafted at the age that Rodgers is right now. He knows the end is coming sooner than later. He doesn't know he's getting another contract. He doesn't know that he's going to be in the playoffs ever again. He understands this stuff better than a guy like Jimmy does. Jimmy might have it mentally. He might have a coach because I promise you Shanahan's drilling all this stuff into their heads. But when you're in your 20s and your team is dominant, you think we're going to be here every year. We're going to have a billion shots at this. we got the best team. We're untouchable. Right? You're, you, you just have that feeling even if you're trying to battle it you know, intellectually. Jimmy Graham has this in his gut. He's only had two games where he graded out in the 80s. The game against Oakland, kind of like Rodgers' best game. That was also Jimmy's best game prior to this. And that was it. The best game other than that was Week 5 against Dallas. His grade was a 70. That's, I mean, that's a big gap. So this was kind of by far his best game. Jimmy Graham wants it, man. He's coming up big in big situations, and some of those passes were not easy catches. He's digging deep to try to get this thing. I just, I genuinely believe the Packers are hungrier, and I genuinely believe that accounts for something. Now, I, I can't say what that means for guys like Jair and Kevin King and Rashawn Gary and whatever, which, by the way, we're going to get to that. Because, I mean, the, the same applies to them as applies to some of the young guys in San Francisco. They, they understand, and of course they want it real bad, but they also are incredibly young and feel like they've got a lot of time to, to get this. But the Green Bay Packers are just a different animal. They've not lost a single game since that San Francisco 49ers matchup. They have not had a single game nearly that bad. And you could argue, granted, some guys played terribly. Alan Lazard, who did get hurt, but he had 20 snaps. This was he was the worst player on offense. He just he had an off day. Which I mean, this is the this is the Packers thing, right? He has an off day, but we got Jimmy Graham and Geronimo stepping up. That's the Packers in a in a in a nutshell. Billy Turner, really bad day. He had a pass blocking grade of 10. He was horrific. I mean, really, really bad. And he needs to step it up. He's had some better days than others, but he's also been at times a liability as a pass blocker. This was by far his worst day. We'll get into the statistics of that in a second. Not everybody was perfect, but overall, it's hard to go back and find an offensive performance that was better than this. The offensive line could have done better. It wasn't Aaron Jones' best day, but to have guys like Aaron Rodgers and Devontae and Jimmy Graham all have basically the best days of their entire year in the playoffs, that's what you want. Because let's also remember the last time the Packers won the Super Bowl. They weren't a bad team, but there's very little question in my mind that something awoke in them in the playoffs. They were a good enough team in the regular season. I mean, they, they, they were a 10-win team is what they were, with a pretty good defense and a pretty good offense. They're, they're similar kind of to what the Titans are right now, right? They were pretty good, but now they just seem like a different animal, having knocked off both the best defensive team and the best offensive team in all of football in back-to-back weeks. There's a difference, a disconnect between that level of talent and what we came to know in the regular season. So there's pretty good, and then that next level in the playoffs, which kind of got us there. Beyond that, there's also guys stepping up. There were a lot of injuries in that last Super Bowl run. So to have guys like Jared Valdir, who was the, the third highest graded offensive lineman, not with a great grade, he was average overall. However, he had an 80 overall pass blocking grade. He's not a very good run blocker, but I'll tell you what, I could, I could care less. If Jared Valdir comes in and is a great pass blocker, I'm satisfied. We need to be able to run the ball. That's absolutely true. But we're talking about a backup right tackle. I'm not going to be picky. To have him come in and dominate as a pass blocker, that's phenomenal. Now, granted, you got uh, Jadavian Clowney, 
who's basically locked up with David Bakhtiari, and they don't have a great other option. But I, again, don't care. He stepped up in a big way. Tyler Irvin, guy comes out of nowhere, tears it up, right? It's reminiscent of James Starks. James Starks did nothing in the regular season. He didn't do very much after the super after the playoff run. But in the playoffs, it's like, who is this guy? Now, we're just talking about two carries, but he's coming up big in special teams. I mean, big in terms of moving forward as opposed to backwards. That's pretty big for us. And then having two carries for like 24 yards. He's kind of a weapon now, and he came out of nowhere. We've got guys stepping up. Geronimo, he's been terrible this year. One of the worst wide receivers in all of football, and he steps up in this game. Statistically, we're talking about one reception, but again, the grades are are different. And yes, if you're wondering, best game Geronimo has had all year, and actually it's by kind of a large margin. His grade was just a 70, which is good. It's not that great. It's just good. His next best game was also against Oakland, 64.9. So if I wanted to go back and compare, it's not too hard to figure out what the best offensive performance from this team was. I'm guessing it was Oakland in Week 7. But, I mean, th- there's very little doubt. This was the this, this is guys who really dug deep. This is, this, this is not a coincidence. It's not. It's not a coincidence that Geronimo Allison... Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Jimmy Graham all had the best games of their entire of the entire year. And no, it's not because Seattle was just that bad. Jimmy Graham doesn't lay out and catch a pass and barely get a first down because Seattle's terrible. Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw pinpoint passes for the first time all year. Every single time he plants his feet in the pocket and throws a ball, it is a perfectly placed ball. That doesn't happen because Seattle's not good in coverage or Seattle isn't providing pressure. That's nonsense. That has nothing to do with anything, unless you're implying every other game where he's throwing balls and missing guys by about 14 feet is because of the defenses that are in the area. Otherwise, I don't know what you're talking about. Devontae Adams running great routes and catching every single thing that gets thrown his direction, getting that level of separation. Geronimo Allison catching that third down pass, which the announcer said that's not where he wanted the ball. I promise you that's where he wanted the ball. It was low and it was low down at the ground, but it's still a very hard pass to catch, and Geronimo went and got it. These guys are digging deep, man. They're so hungry for this. Again, it wasn't perfect. And there were guys that had bad days, bad games. But I'm looking at this and saying, you got guys. That are, that are playing the best game they've played all year. Some of these guys, I mean, Devontae, I cannot find a grade that he's had. And, it, you know, it's debatable. BFF grades are not whatever. But from their metrics, best game they've seen of him ever. Ever. 100% that accounts for something. Let's look at some other uh, interesting statistics. And I understand the defense comes into play in this regard as well. But let me point out to you that well, one thing that's very hard to do against Seattle is to throw the ball deep. Another thing that Aaron Rodgers has struggled to do regardless of defense is throw the ball deep. When they played the San Francisco 49ers, in terms of grades, when you look at passing direction, he didn't have a single positive grade in any quarter of the field. Quarter's the wrong word, but you know. In in any area of the field beyond 10 yards, not one area. He didn't grade out good, as in 70s, in any part of the field. The best he did was a 68.4 was his grade in the 0-10 to yard on the left side of the field mark. Beyond 20 yards against the 49ers, Aaron Rodgers was 0 for 5. Beyond 20 yards against the Seattle Seahawks, a team that is designed to not let you throw deep. Cover 3, not letting you go deep. Aaron Rodgers was 3 for 3 for 79 yards and a touchdown. 3 for 3. Beyond 10 yards, he was 6 for 6 for 145 yards and 2 touchdowns. 6 for 6 beyond 10 yards. Beyond the 20-yard mark, looking at grades, we're looking outside left, between the numbers, outside right, beyond 20 yards, his lowest grade was an 81.8. The best the best area for Aaron Rodgers in this game was beyond 20 yards. That has not happened all year. I'm telling you, this was different. That doesn't mean it's going to continue, right? Aaron Rodgers even said, like, you just kind of got this feeling and warm-up, something was just kind of clicking. Maybe it's just not going to be clicking next week. I don't know. But something did click. And again, the fact that it was Aaron Rodgers, but also Devontae, but also Jimmy, but also Geronimo, that means something. By the way, let's not discount Jared Valdir in this. This is a guy that basically retired, right? Valdir is like, all right, you know, I I had a long run at this, whatever. Suddenly the Packers call you up and you're two games away, well, three at this point, from, from from winning a Super Bowl, two from being in a Super Bowl, you gotta come in and play right tackle. And the guy plays out of his mind. You tell me Jared Valdir doesn't want it? He's 32. You know, I mean, how much? How long is that guy going to be around? I mean, he he just retired this year. 
And by the way, he signed a one-year deal with the New England Patriots prior to retiring. I'm guessing that's not a, a, a mistake. I'm guessing he said, you know what, if I'm coming back, which I don't want to, it's going to be to win a Super Bowl. He gets in there, starts playing around with the Patriots, and is like, you know what, I just can't do this. I just, I can't do it. I'm done. I'm over it. Then, November 27th, so basically we're almost to the playoffs. The Packers are like, look, come hang out with us. Sit on the bench. We're going to make a run at a Super Bowl. Can, can you hang in there for a couple months? And he's like, yeah, I think I can do that. The, the guy just wants a ring, man. He spent four years with the Raiders, spent four years with the Cardinals, and a year with the Broncos. He has not had a lot of success. He's ready re- to retire, but just wants that one more shot. But in order for him to get to the Super Bowl, he had to play right tackle. He had to protect Aaron Rodgers, and that's exactly what he did. In the, in the game against the Seattle Seahawks, Aaron Rodgers was sacked twice. PFF blamed Rodgers for one of them and Billy Turner for the other. In terms of hits, Aaron Rodgers was responsible for one of his hits. Corey Lindsley was responsible for the next one. Hurries, there were six. Billy Turner was responsible for four of the six. Again, he had a terrible day. One of them was David Bakhtiari. One of them was Aaron Rodgers again. So of the ten hurry or the ten pressures that he had, five of them were from Billy Turner. One from Corey Lindsley, one from David Bakhtiari. Three were Aaron Rodgers' responsibility. How many times did I say Jared Valdir in there? Zero. Zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries from Jared Valdir. By the way, that also makes zero, zero, zero for Elton Jenkins. The one blemish on Jenkins' thing is that he had a penalty in that game. In the game against the San Francisco 49ers, there was also two sacks, but there was a total of 16 pressure. 16 compared to 10. Three from Aaron Rodgers, three from Billy Turner, two from Alex Light, which by the way, Alex Light, let's not forget that whole dynamic. The fact that Alex Light was our starting right tackle. Brian Balaga played nine snaps. Alex Light played 70. You think that doesn't have an impact on this game? Alex Light was brought in. He had two pressures and a penalty. Uh, Corey Lindsley was responsible for one. David Bakhtiari was responsible for six. So yeah, he had a bad day. And I understand he's going up against a top-tier pass rusher. This team has gone up against a lot of top-tier pass rushers. Giving up six pressures is kind of garbage. Elton Jenkins also responsible for one pressure in that game. Elton Jenkins was the only one with a grade over 80 as a pass blocker. Against Seattle, we have three guys, Jared Valdir, David Bakhtiari, and Aaron Jones. As a side note, um, Jay Kumaro had an elite blocking, run blocking grade in both of those games. Kumaro might not be our best wide receiver, but the guy is just about as clutch as can be when it comes to blocking. And I'm sure you guys saw the clip of him um, blocking up Jadavian Clowney on a touchdown run, which is ridiculous. I mean, you want to talk about a slap in the face to a to an edge rusher like Jadavian Clowney, that's going to hurt your, your pride a little bit. Don't worry, Jadavian, it's not you. It's Kumaro. He's just good. Anyways, let's take our last break quickly, and then I want to look at the difference in the defenses, and then we'll get out of here. i got to get going. So we got your joints taken care of. We got your vacation in February taken care of. Question is, are you going to be looking good when you go out there? I know you're going to be feeling good, but you don't want to go hanging out with some Milwaukee Brewers guys looking like a bum. What I think you should do is head over to MacWeldon.com. They've got some really nice, really comfortable, very breathable clothes, which will be nice because you're used to four below and you're going to fly out to 75. You're going to want breathable. And if you're going to be doing all the hiking and whatnot, just remember that they've got the silver clothing line, which is not a color. It is actual silver used to wick away odor. So they've got breathable, odor-eliminating clothing that looks good and feels good. And just for you guys listening to this podcast, Mac Weldon has got a great offer for you to take advantage of. Get 20% off your first order. Just visit MacWeldon.com. Enter promo code OVERTIME. Again, that's 20% off your first order. Just enter promo code OVERTIME when you visit MacWeldon.com. And because they want you to be comfortable, if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you get to keep it. They'll still refund you, no questions asked. MacWeldon.com. Use promo code OVERTIME for 20% off your first order. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. So defensively, um, the, the grading against Seattle wasn't all that fantastic. And there's several reasons for that. First of all, everybody's super pumped about Zadarius Smith. The biggest issue, and I think this is one of those games where you kind of disregard the, the grade and just look at the, the stat. Right? He, for example, 
horrific tackling grade. Several people did, and I think a lot of that has to do with the slipperiness of Russell Wilson. Not that every single one of these is Russ, but how many times, honestly, do you remember a guy getting right there, grabbing him, and then Russell gets out of it? It was incredibly frustrating to watch. So several guys got dinged for that. Um, Kenny Clark, Will Redmond, Zadarius, B.J. Goodson, Tremont Williams, and Kyler Fackrell all had horrific tackling grades. However, four guys in this game did stand out. And although I did not get what I had wanted, which is having a rookie make a big splash play, of the four guys that stood out, two of them were rookies. The number four on this list is Darnell Savage, who had an incredible tackling grade, uh, decent enough in coverage in terms of his grade. I mean, he had zero targets, zero reception, so you have to assume he didn't do that terrible. It's just hard with safeties because you don't know how, how often they were targeted. Um, the third best grade was Kenny Clark. Again, terrible tackling grade, but his ability against the run was just huge in this game. He had four stops, and he had seven total pressures, including a sack and six hurries. Second highest grade on defense was Preston Smith. He had two stops, one missed tackle. They didn't give him a bad tackling grade, so he must have done great outside of that one miss, um, but added seven pressures. By the way, 30 pressures in this game. 30. But uh, seven from Kenny, seven from Preston. And uh, he was in coverage 11 times, not a single target or reception on Preston Smith. And then the number one highest grade, yes, we're still dealing with somewhat limited uh, sample size, but Rashawn Gary was once again, and I think this is the second time he was the highest graded uh, defender on our defense which makes sense that he would be a defender on our defense. Only nine snaps, but on seven pressures, he did have one hurry. He added one tackle, one assisted tackle, and had one stop in the game. So he did a fantastic job. And if we just compare that to Rashawn Gary, the last time they played, he had 13 snaps, which is more than this week. He had zero pressure, zero tackle, zero assisted tackle, zero stop. He just had zeros across the board. He had zero impact on the game. Darnell Savage, who had a great day, a great day especially in tackling, had a 35 um, tackling grade with two missed tackles. So obviously that got much better. Same exact thing in coverage, uh, zeros across the board, but no impact uh, as a tackler actually did a terrible job, and his run defense grade was horrible. So Darnell Savage made a big jump. Zadarius Smith, who had a higher grade against the 49ers statistically, against the 49ers, five pressures, two sacks, a hit, and two hurries. In this particular game, 11 pressures, two sacks, two hits, and seven hurries. Zedarius was all over the place. And again, I think the biggest issue, well, it's twofold. His run defense grade wasn't that great. And I think a lot of it had to do with kind of missing Russ on, a, on several occasions, which probably has more to do with being a positive for Russell than a negative for Zedarius. But that's just kind of how the grading system works. It's a zero-sum game. If, if this guy gets a positive, you get a negative and vice versa. Again, it's one of the things you could call a flaw with PFF is that they don't take the talent on the other side into account. That's where things like DVOA kind of come into place because that's what they do do is they take talent into account. In other words, what did you do in comparison to expectations? There's probably a higher level of expectation against Russell Wilson that you're going to miss a couple of these tackles. So again, uh, really kind of across the board, Zadarius did a better job uh, rushing the passer, which granted, not as good of an offensive line. Darnell Savage had a better day. Rashawn Gary had a better day. And then if we look at the corners, I mean, Tremont had a pretty bad day, and I this was the first time I remember watching him, and there was one play in particular where he just completely, it's like he didn't even try to tackle the guy. He had the ability to tackle the guy, kind of just didn't. I don't know what happened, and then the guy ended up getting a first down. It was like, what are you, come on, dude. Um, Tremont did have the second lowest grade on this defense, horrific tackling grade, really a bad coverage grade, which is uncharacteristic of Tremont. So traditionally, I would put him in the category of a guy that really wants this ring, and I'm sure he does. But um, not his best effort. Watch for him to take a big step next week and try to make up for that. But uh, his he, his statistics, five targets, four receptions, 51 yards. So, I mean, statistically, that's not that bad. But um, other corners, by the way, Tremont didn't have the greatest day uh, the last time either. Statistically, he did, but grade-wise, it wasn't all that great. But if we look at, for example, Kevin King and Jair, the two top guys. And, and listen, this was a tough matchup. Jair, at the end of the day, was credited for six targets, five receptions, 58 yards, and a touchdown, but he also had a pass breakup. Now, compared to San Francisco, he had zero or one target, zero reception, so it's kind of hard to beat that. He kind of locked it down against San Francisco. He had a very good day. But even in this game, for example, he had probably his best day tackling ever. He also had an 81 pass rush grade because of that one ridiculous, which by the way, it's not in here. I don't know why, why he wouldn't get credit for that. I don't know if PFF just missed it or if they don't count special teams or what. Maybe that's what it is. It's a special teams grade as opposed to defensive grade, whatever. Either way, phenomenal, right? One time he comes on a blitz and he just smokes Russell Wilson. But he, he, even looking at this, you know, okay, they don't give him a super great grade. 
Uh, five receptions given up is more than you'd like. But if, if we're talking about 58 yards, I don't kind of care. Kevin King, three targets, three receptions, 46 yards, right? I mean, there was that one play that was kind of ugly. But, I mean, just dominant tackler. Which, by the way, Jair and Kevin King have been kind of rough in that area, especially Jair. Both of them dominant tacklers. Kevin King, in particular, very good against the run. Actually had the second highest run defense grade outside of Kenny Clark. If we're talking about eight receptions for roughly 100 yards between the two of them, I don't super care. 50 yards is not that much. By the way, Kevin King, the last time when we played San Francisco, four targets, four receptions, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Kevin King has, has really stepped his game up. And although this wasn't necessarily an elite game from Kevin King, he was tied for the sixth highest grade overall. And I don't think his head, let's, what, what was the last time he had a bad day? See, I, I'm not biased, man. I just call it like I see it. And we got a lot of people that are still on the anti-King thing because that's just how they are. If they don't like you, they don't like you. If they like you, they like you. I like good players. I don't like bad players. And I know that that changes over time. The last time he's had a bad day was against San Francisco. He had a 37.6 overall grade. Now, he's had a bunch of average games other than that. He's only had one very good game, and that was against Minnesota. Other than that, has been kind of just whatever. But at the end of the day, from the corners, all I really care about is statistics. I mean, really, what else matters? I mean, from an edge rusher, it kind of matters a little bit more. Granted, statistics are important. If you get 11 pressures like Sidarius, that's huge. But it kind of matters how good you are against the run, tackling, those kinds of things that maybe fly under the radar that you don't super notice. That does matter. If you're a corner, what do I care about other than that you didn't let guys catch the pass? And the fact of the matter is Kevin King, since San Francisco, has allowed 35, 40, negative 1, 13, and 46. That's the, 46 is the most amount of yards he's given up in uh, the last, like, five weeks. And by the way, he's given up one touchdown in that stretch. He's given up four this year, only one in the last five games. And it was five weeks ago against the Giants. He's also had two picks and two pass breakups in that time. So I, I've got no complaints. I mean, I understand he's an imperfect corner. But if this is Kevin King, I'm, I'm not upset. I could care less if you get 60s for the rest of your career as far as a PFF grade. If you're giving up 30 to 40 yards and on average like a fifth of a touchdown, meaning one touchdown every five games, but you're also getting two picks and two pressures in that, or two picks and two pass breakups in that time, I have zero complaints with Kevin King. I just don't like the version of Kevin King that, you know, is giving up 106 yards and a touchdown. Or the version of Kevin King that gives that's targeted 10 times, give up six receptions for 163 yards. That version is annoying. Or against Denver, seven targets, five receptions, 123 yards. That's frustrating. But I, I also think a lot of this is big plays, right? Why, why is it that one game he gives up three receptions for 46 yards, the other one is four for 106, or six for 163, or five for 123? He, for the most part, they're doing a good job of keeping plays in front of them. They're not giving up those giant plays anymore. And the longer these guys keep the plays in front of them and give up these four, five, six, seven, eight yard plays, the longer these drives are, the more likely they're just going to make a play. Preston's coming, Zadarius, Kenny, right? They're, 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 that big play is coming. Eventually, they're going to stop you three times and you're going to punt. They just need opportunities. And taking away the big play is just giving them more opportunities. I know the announcers and everything else, they look at why do they keep giving up underneath stuff? Why do they give them the easy four yards? Because eventually they're going to make a play. Because this defense is just about live to play another play. It's, it's live and survive to get another opportunity because they just need opportunities. This is an opportunistic defense. By the way, um, looking at Blake Martinez, definitely impressed with his ability against the run. He was the biggest liability, though, in terms of coverage, which is kind of what you expect from a line. This was more of a linebacker-y kind of day, right? He's actually shooting gaps. He's great as a tackler. But in coverage... Um, Five targets, four receptions, 69 yards, which even that is not the worst thing in the world, but 70 yards is kind of a lot, and it was it was the biggest deal that we had. So, you know, that's definitely an exploitable thing and something to watch for, especially when you're going up against the, you know, Kittle and Juszczyk and all these other guys. But um, look, the, the, the bottom line is improvement everywhere, right? The rookies have all gotten better. The corners are going to be better. The quarterback is better. The wide receiver is better. Everybody's better. Not only are they better, but some of these guys are just playing on another level now that they're in the playoffs. So to look at the last time they played, and I'm not saying Green Bay's definitely a better team or is definitely going to win. I'm just saying if you're looking at the San Francisco-Green Bay game from Week 12 and using that as a benchmark for what's going to happen when you're talking about San Francisco's probably best game of the year and the Packers' worst game of the year and Aaron Rodgers' worst game of his career and several other players' probably worst games of their career. I think it was Kenny Clark's worst game ever probably Kevin King's worst game of the year, you're going to come up with a skewed result. This is a different game. And look, San Francisco's a big challenge. 
But the problem is nobody's recognizing, so are the Packers. The Packers are a big challenge. How do you account for Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, who's better than... So we have a wide receiver that's better than your wide receivers, a quarterback that's better than your quarterback, an offensive line that's better than your offensive line. And I know you dominated him last time because Bakhtiari had a terrible day and we had Alex Light at right tackle. I get it. Fully understand that. We have a better offensive line. How do you account for the best pass rush duo and Kenny Clark in all of football? I don't know. That's for the 49ers to figure out. Seahawks couldn't figure it out. By the way, neither could the Lions twice, neither could the Vikings twice, neither could the Bears twice, or the Redskins, or the Giants, or the Panthers, neither could the Chiefs, or the Raiders, or the Cowboys, or the Broncos. None of them could figure out how to stop them. And that's even when, when half the team couldn't get their stuff together. They went 13 wins when, with an offense that couldn't e- hasn't even clicked. Presumably until just this past week. <laughs> it just clicked. It just happened for the first time. So, I don't know. It's just, the slander's got to stop, man. And the more I hear it, the more it's like, I just want to smash everybody in front of us. I want them to, to annihilate the 49ers. Now, I mean, yes, because I want to go to the Super Bowl, but I just want all these people with all their big mouths wanting to jump on all these little trains with all this hive mind nonsense where we all think alike and we all say the same stuff and we keep going with this fraud narrative and we keep making excuses for it because we don't want to let it go because we've been saying it now for five, six weeks. So we got to make, well, the Seattle was just kind of not a good team and they're blah, blah, blah. Get out of my face, dude. Seattle is a very good team and I understand they couldn't run the ball as well, but that's a team that beat almost everybody they played, including, by the way, the 49ers. Anyways, I got to get going. That is a, a general comparison of the two weeks as well as a brief look at what pff saw in this past game probably the best offensive performance that they've seen um, one of the best that aaron Rodgers has had i mean legitimately in his career considering it's it's a rare thing to get a, a grade that high Devonte, as far as they're concerned best game he's ever played jimmy's best game of the year geronimo's best game of the year it wasn't perfect but this is a motivated team that's playing on a different level right now and that's with the defense by the way grade-wise, probably having one of its its lesser games. Statistically, it was great as far as pressures, but they graded out probably worse than they have pretty much all year. Even that San Francisco game, they had at least two guys with very good grades. This game, it was just a couple 70s and then a bunch of 60s, 50s, 40s, whatever. So that defense definitely has another gear. And if they find it against San Francisco, and if the offense can stay in this rhythm, I don't even think it's that far-fetched to say that the Packers should be favorited. That's if we can assume that, which we can't. But if we could, I I would say the Packers should be favorited. Anyways, I'm out of here. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com